A while ago, I shared a story about a couple here at Trent named Sam and Lucy, who had some friends who were just in a really tough season financially, and they gave them some money to help them through. And initially, these friends were kind of hesitant to accept the gift, but Sam and Lucy reassured them it was okay for them to have it because they said, it's God's money anyway. Years later, Sam and Lucy found themselves in a season where finances were very tight, and those same friends felt prompted to help them out with a gift, reminding them, remember, it's God's money. Today, I'll be continuing our series called Faithful Stewards, subtitled The Earth is the Lord and Everything in It, words written by King David, one of the wealthiest kings in the whole of world history in Psalm 24. It's not just in the Psalms that we, the Bible reminds us that everything that we have, our resources, our money, our time, the planet itself belongs to God. It's evident throughout the pages of the Bible. And as Christians, we are called to be faithful stewards with all of those things. As Ollie shared last week, stewards in ancient Greek culture didn't own anything particular. They didn't own the house or business they were running. They managed it. They ran it on behalf of the owner. And the verb to steward means to manage or look after another's property. So in this series, we're exploring what it means to be faithful stewards of what the owner, God, has entrusted to us to manage on his behalf. Last week, Ollie uh, talked about how we can be considerate consumers. If you missed that, I'd really encourage you to catch up online, uh, video or audio. And next week, John Bodley will be teaching on how we might care for the planet. Today, I'll be looking at how we can be faithful stewards with our resources, particularly with our money. Now, clearly, in a large church like ours, there'll be people with a whole range of financial situations. There'll be those experiencing significant financial hardship. There'll be people in debt. There'll be people who are with significant wealth, the whole spectrum. But wherever we are today, I want to unpack what the Bible has to say about stewardship of the financial resources that God has entrusted to us. And every one of us, whether you're a student on a loan and different things, we all have resources that we spend, and therefore we have resources that we can choose how to spend. If this is your first Sunday here, then uh, you know, perhaps someone invited you to come and check us out, and perhaps despite reservations, you've turned up, uh, reservations that Christians have for a reputation for being a being a little strange, and be always after your money. Now, if that is the case, I can't promise that we aren't a little bit strange. But in terms of money, I can promise this isn't what we talk about each week. I generally do one talk a year. This happens to be it, okay? And although it's not, the, in some ways, the most comfortable topic to look at, I'm glad you're here because I honestly believe that the Bible gives us a revolutionary way of looking at money with potential for incredible blessing, not just for others, but also for ourselves. Let me explain. As Ollie said last week, in our culture, we have a tendency to think of things in terms of ownership, to think of the gifts we have, think of our career, and our money as our own. Remember, he talked about the football team owner and the football team manager, two very distinct roles. But the Bible tells us something very different. Whether you would consider yourself wealthy or struggling financially, everything you have is entrusted to you by God. And we see here in Deuteronomy 8.18, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But 
Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Maybe you're a very successful entrepreneur. You built a business. You're a self-made person. No, you're not, because the very gifts that you have, that you've applied in life, were given to you, entrusted to you by God. And then the Apostle Paul said to the wealthy Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, the verse that's on the center screen, what do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? Just as Lucy and Sam, and then later their friends said, it's God's money, it's God's money. So what does it mean to be faithful stewards with God's money? Today we're going to look at a parable that may be familiar to some of you. It's known as the parable of the talents or the parable of the bags of gold, as in many translations these days. And uh, it illustrates a truth about God and the way things work in God's kingdom. And in this parable, Jesus says, Matthew 25, that the kingdom of God, verse 14, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. He gave uh, to one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. This man going on the journey is actually the speaker in this passage. It's Jesus himself. He was soon to leave his disciples in the events of his death, his resurrection and ascension, to one day return. And we still look forward to that day when he will return in what is known as the second coming. And Jesus is saying to his listeners that they are his servants and it's his property that he's entrusting to them. However you look at the bags of gold, if you think a bag of gold, we're talking hundreds of thousands of pounds if you look at today's equivalent for those things. The picture is clearly one of massive entrustment. The parable tells us something about the character of God who is amazingly generous with us. You know, he doesn't just give us a little bit of pocket money, but he entrusts us with something hugely valuable. So let's just stop here and ask the question, what are these talents or these bags of gold represent? Is it just simply money? Well, I think the best way to view them might be that they are what we might call kingdom opportunities. Kingdom opportunities. In his book, The Blessed Life, Robert Morris writes this. God gives talents to each of us according to our ability, and he expects us to use those talents for him and for his kingdom purposes. The Lord gives us all opportunities, and we, as his servants, get to choose to what extent we will use our skills, our experience, our possessions, our influence, and of course our money for the benefit of the kingdom of God. And stewarding the money that God has entrusted to us is one way we can make the most of the kingdom opportunities that he presents before us. We can just be alert to it. Ah, is there something, Lord, you want to do with my money that would really engage something in this moment for the advancement of your kingdom? Just like a little story from Catherine here. One evening she ordered a takeaway, which was a very rare treat for her. She was living on a very tight budget. And when the delivery arrived... She passed the dining room table where all the bills and cash for the week were carefully laid out and she noticed a 20 pound note which she felt God prompt her to give to the delivery guy. And so she did and after he initially refused, he visibly buckled at the knees and told her he needed the money for new school shoes for his daughter. There was a kingdom opportunity for Catherine to partner with God in providing for this man's daughter, just an impression she had, and she took it. 
And so the master didn't just entrust his property to, to them to hold on to. He was expecting them to do something with it, something productive with it. In a, there's a similar parable in Luke, parable in Luke 19. And the master who goes away gives his servants differing amounts of money. And he says to them, put this money to work until I come back. So how do these servants do with what the master entrusted them with? Well, it was clear that by the time the master returned, two of them had been very productive. The servant who had been given five bags of gold and the servant who had been given two had both doubled the, the amount of money. And these faithful stewards wisely looked for opportunities to invest and put their money to work and were fruitful in their efforts. And the master says to both of them the same thing. It's recorded in verse 21 and slightly further on. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. You've faithfully taken the opportunities that I entrusted to you. I will put you in charge of many things. I'm going to give you even greater kingdom opportunities. Come and share your master's happiness. So they both receive the master's commendation. And in fact, it's word for word the same for both of them. One had greater ability and greater opportunity than the other, but they both equally took those opportunities and uh, were fruitful, and the reward is exactly the same for both of them. So the reward is not based on how much we're entrusted with, but rather on how faithfully, faithfully we invest it in the master's business. I'll always remember a man who, when we were looking to expand this building, I think, maybe the first time, he was on a very, very low income, and he got a Tupperware box and each week he put coins in it and he saved up for the gift day such that he was able to bring uh, this pile of money which for him was an awful lot. Now, in worldly terms, that amount of money wasn't great but in kingdom terms, he was faithfully stewarding what he had for the work of the kingdom and some of you are sitting on a chair right now that he paid for all those years ago. Now let's have a look at what the final servant did. This is verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. This servant evidently perceived the master as a harsh man and he was afraid. This guy had presumably been serving alongside the other servants, perhaps for a number of years, who understood him to be generous, trusting, empowering, and willing to give them incredible opportunities, but he had totally misunderstood his master. He just ignored the expectation his master had about him being fruitful. He just simply put his head in the sand like an ostrich. Now, he does understand whose money it is. Verse 25 said, I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. But he's really misunderstanding stewardship. He held on to it instead of putting it to work. And the Bible's clear that those of us who count ourselves as, as servants of the Lord are expected to faithfully use what has, has been entrusted to us. And evidently, while fear can motivate us to hold on to what we have rather than taking a risk with it, doing so really is not pleasing to God. And so this is the, uh, the response of the master. This is verse 26. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I haven't sown and gather where I have not scattered seed, did you? 
misinformation, but he's, saying, he's taking him on his own words. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. The master's angry with him because he's, he's you know, entrusted, he's loaned this money to his servants to invest for him while he's gone to put his money to work, but this guy didn't even try to be fruitful. He didn't even make the effort of putting it in the bank. In his excellent book, and it is excellent, I encourage every one of you to read it, Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. He writes this. Stewardship is living with the awareness that we are managers, not owners. That we are caretakers of God's assets. How we handle money and possessions demonstrates who we really believe is their true owner, God or us. When I realize that God has a claim not only on a few dollars to throw in an offering plate, not on 10% or 50%, but 100% of my money, it's revolutionary. Suddenly, I'm God's money manager. I'm not God. Money isn't God. God is God. He's in his place. I'm in mine. Money in its. Being a faithful steward isn't about holding on to God's money, but investing it for him. So today, I would encourage you to reflect on how you are doing with that. How are you doing with stewarding what God has entrusted to you beyond money in all the various things that he's given you? But let's talk about money tonight. Are you investing it into God's kingdom like the first two servants, or are you holding on to it? Are you holding on perhaps out of fear, or are you burying it like the third servant? So many people have been committed financially to Trent for many, many years, and many of you among them, faithfully investing a percentage of your income in what God is doing here. And we're all incredibly grateful to every one of you who is doing that, who's giving. The truth is, without your giving, the church simply couldn't function. And if you're looking at your income and wondering what to invest in, I want to encourage you that when you give to the church, you are investing in something with an incredible return on investment. If you look at just a few things we do here, people from, young people from the day they're born, right through their childhood, their teenage years, youth, and, and then students, and then young adults, are being discipled, and cared for, and equipped, and empowered, and helped to navigate what it means to be a Christian in a culture which is increasingly in opposition to God's design. Leaders learning to lead, and people discovering they have gifts they didn't know they had as they engage in various areas of ministry. People being pastored, marriages being supported, many being supported through sickness and difficult times being cared for by their small group, having a pastor at their hospital bedside or with a bereaved family. People coming to faith through things like Alpha, you know, hearing great teaching, having a relaxed conversation around a, a great meal, all provided at no cost to the person. And many of you here have given generously to building expansions over the years of these facilities. For example, just take the Trent Youth Building, two buildings behind us here. When that center was built, it was way larger than that youth group could really use at the time. But it was a kingdom investment to provide an environment where young people could thrive, could grow, could bring friends. And 10 years later, that center is jammed on Tuesday evenings with young people growing in faith together. And in fact, their small groups don't even fit in there anymore. They've spilled out now into other buildings. When you invest in the church, you're investing in so many things like over 100 tons of food being distributed to people in need in Nottingham during the pandemic through 19 food banks. 
People in extreme poverty being given food, furniture, a bed to sleep in, something to cook with. Prisoners hearing about Jesus and being supported as they start new lives on their release. People being helped out of crippling debt and the lonely finding community. And the church having resources to respond to crises around the world. We have this set-apart fund. It's just there set-apart to be spent on things that benefit those outside of our church. And suddenly some earthquake happens, a massive flood happens in another country. We're able to respond immediately and send large sums of money to charities like Tear Fund who can put it to work in those places very quickly. I could go on. But just to say, for the last 25 years, the church here has been able to be a presence of hope in Nottingham and beyond and across the world now because of faithful stewards who have invested what God has entrusted to them here. When God's people understand the practice of faithful stewardship, amazing things happen. God's kingdom is advanced and society is transformed. So practically, what does it mean to be a faithful steward with our money? Well, firstly, while we need to understand that it's all ultimately God's, what I'm not saying by that is that we need to give it all away or that we need to live a life of voluntary poverty. Uh, however much or little we have, I think the issues really boil down, it's a twofold issue, right? For firstly, are we giving faithfully to the Lord's work? Are we? And secondly, to what extent are we prayerful about how we use what remains, how we spend what is left? When we make major purchases, do we stop for a moment as a heart posture, just have this two-word little question, I'd encourage you to use it sometimes, may I? Just before I spend this money on this new house or this extension or this holiday or this hobby or this luxury, may I? Lord, may I spend it? Because the Lord doesn't say it's all mine so you can't enjoy nice things. Far from it. In fact, we're told in 1 Timothy 6, 17 that the issue is what or who we're trusting in. Money or God, basically. It says, do not put your hope in wealth, but in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God loves it when we enjoy fantastic experiences and things that we can afford because he's entrusted that to us, as long as we're fulfilling the first part, that we're faithfully stewarding and being generous. And when we ask the Lord, may I spend on this nice thing or experience, he may well say, yeah, go ahead, enjoy it. On the other hand, we need to be prepared for him to nudge us and say, no, not this time, I want you to give that money away I'm going to richly provide for those who put their hope in me, and I may sometimes do that through you. John Wesley, who back in the 18th century radically understood stewardship, wrote this. In spending this money, am I acting as if I owned it, or am I acting as the Lord's trustee? Trustee for a charity is entrusted with the assets of the charity. Uh, You know, entrusted with some somebody else's possession. So how we spend the money we keep as well as how we faithfully give to the Lord's work is important. So being a faithful steward doesn't mean having an impoverished life. What does it mean? Well, the Bible is very consistent in its teaching on the subject of giving. In the Old Testament, there was an expectation that on top of other opportunities, other giving opportunities, of which there were many, um, a tenth of one's income it's called a tithe, was to be invested in the Lord's work. Why a tenth, you might ask? Well, in the ancient Near Eastern world, numbers carried meanings. And ten 
was a number of completeness. And we see it again and again through the Bible, let's say with the Ten Commandments. There's the complete commandments, which essentially contain the whole will of God for human behavior, if you drill down into each of those ten. As it happens, physically, we're born with ten digits, like fingers and thumbs. But often a person back then, in the sort of predominantly farming and manual labor culture, would be missing one or two because there was no health and safety executive insisting on safe working practices. And so somebody with ten fingers, that was like a picture of a whole person. They still got all ten. It's a picture of wholeness. The phrase a tenth occurs in the Bible 79 times, and it's thought that it's a fraction which represents the whole. So just as ten fingers represents wholeness, so one finger, just the one, represents the whole. And a tenth or a tithe of one's income represents one's whole income. So giving a tithe or a tenth back to God was effectively a way of saying, I recognize 100% of it comes from God, all of that, and I'm just going to give this little portion back, this little fraction, as a statement that recognizes that. Having set apart the first 10%, I get to spend, share, invest, save. I have a lot of freedom with what I do with the remaining. Can I do that? Okay, with the remaining amount, okay? I heard Tim Keller, a pastor from New York, speaking on this subject recently, and was really struck by what he said about this, which I agree with, but I think he says it really well. Everything you've got is because of God's goodness to you, and he asks you now to share it. You've got to teach this to children. You buy the children a $50 Nintendo game and they play for an hour and after an hour you say, can I play a game? And they say, no, it's mine. You gave it to me. We have a tendency to decide what we want to do and how we want to live and then we give God the leftovers. Instead, the way the scripture says, if you're active and intentional, you decide what you're giving to God and then you work on the leftovers. He recognizes and he says, in the New Testament, there isn't much mention of the tithe. Some people have said, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. Since we are more indebted to God, more blessed by God, receive more mercy by God under Christ than the folks ever did in the Old Testament, it is inconceivable to imagine that whatever God expects from us would be less than the 10%. And therefore, all honest and reflective and fair-minded students of the Scripture have always said that the Old Testament 10% would be a minimum, a minimum guideline for someone who lives under Christ. In the New Testament, no longer under the law of the tithe, no longer under law, but now under grace, we're exhorted to take that rule of a tenth and use it as a guideline, a starting point for cheerful giving, which is what Jesus talks about and the other New Testament writers do. Many Christians understand this. It's not news. It's not that they don't believe that's what the Bible clearly teaches, but rather they struggle to adopt the habit of the first tenth of their income going back to the Lord. And unless we're deliberate about our giving, this is what tends to happen. Imagine the Lord gives you 10 apples, nine red ones, one green one, and says, look, I've entrusted these apples to you, these resources, to steward. This green one being set aside for me as a symbol that you recognize that all 10 apples are effectively, they're all mine, they all come from me. It's pretty clear. Give the green apple to the Lord, as soon as your salary comes into your bank account, give the green apple to the Lord and then live on the rest. 
Now, sadly, many Christians do this. The car needs fixing. There's an unexpected dental bill. They reach for the green apple and they take a bite. Christmas is coming. It's looking expensive. They reach again. They will will take the green one, take a bite from that. And then things are a bit tight at the moment. And before you know it, there isn't much left. And they end up flicking the apple core in God's direction. Now, for some of you, the thought of giving a tenth of your income sounds huge. Perhaps on one end of the spectrum, you're you're on a very low income, and uh, every pound being really important as you're managing a very, very tight budget. I would encourage you to give faithfully to the Lord and trust that he will fulfill his promises to provide for you. Just take a step of faith in that direction, see what happens. Perhaps at the other end of the spectrum, you're really quite wealthy and you realize as you look at the figures, 10% of your income is a really large amount of money. Could you really give that much? And my encouragement to you is to realize that it still leaves you with 90%, which is itself, by definition, a really large amount of money, which is entrusted to you by the Lord. And so whether you're on low income, medium income, high income, it's the same counsel. Do what the Bible teaches and you will find your life is blessed and you'll find it's so much more fulfilling. For a couple of seasons, we've been married for 38 years, Debbie and I, and for a couple of the seasons in there, we found ourselves on a very low income, uh, equivalent to the very most basic benefits level. And in many ways, it was too low to be realistically possible to give almost anything away. But for pretty much all the 38 years, and certainly through those seasons, we've always elected to give at least a tenth of our income to the Lord, trusting him to make the 90% stretch further than the 100% would have in our own strength if we weren't, you know, being faithful in our giving. And... uh, He's always been faithful in sustaining us. It's been amazing. And there have been times when we've given a much higher percentage, a multiple of 10% over a number of years towards various buildings and expansion projects here. And there were times when we really did feel the pinch, when we often went without things which some of our contemporaries were able to afford. And on a few occasions when we just didn't know how we were going to get through, we chose to give anyway. We reckon, and it's been proven to be true, that trusting God with our finances, handling money in the way that he's prescribed, is the most financially secure way to live. The Lord has provided miraculously when we've been in need and sustained us throughout that time. And even in the most challenging of seasons, we've been free of financial anxiety. So I'm not encouraging any of you to do anything which we have not consistently done. I believe giving at least a tenth to the Lord is not only the most appropriate way to live, but it's also a blessed way to live. And as one of your pastors, I want that blessing. I want that freedom for all of you. If you can't imagine being able to give a tenth as you look at your budget, oh, I couldn't possibly do that. Well, can I suggest begin somewhere? Begin with some regular giving through the bank to the church and give on top of that elsewhere. But just begin somewhere. Begin with a very small amount and work up over time as God proves to you that he will reward you and enable you to invest generously in what he's doing. Some of you believe what I've talked about today, but you realize that over time, maybe your income has grown, but it's a long time since you updated the amount you're giving. So whether you're already faithfully giving or whether you're yet to start, I would seriously encourage you to review, to think about this subject, review your giving and take some action on it 
if you pr feel prompted to do that. And you find all the details on how to do this. If you want to get a phone out, that screen should be showing a QR code. You can just do that, and that'll tell you what to do. Or you can go to trentv.org forward slash give. And uh, there are leaflets at the Connect area. They're also going to be on tables by the door, and there's also a QR thing you can scan there if you'd like to. If you do make any changes, which I really would encourage you to do, then do let uh, the finance team know. Just email them at giving at trentvineyard.org. That's really helpful. So there's an invitation really today for us all to reconsider how are we stewarding what God has entrusted to us, particularly in this area of money, realizing that no matter how much we have, it all comes from him. It's ultimately God's money. And as we align our lives and our wallets to God's design, we can look forward to hearing what those faithful stewards heard. His well done good and faithful servant.